Listen, Babs. You don't want to talk to me like that. Because I don't care who you are. Yes, I am Vince's manager. But we've also been best friends since we're six years old. And I don't appreciate sitting in a room discussing his personal life with a bunch of fucking strangers. Yeah, the Entourage Podcast. I am your host, J.R. Hitty, coming to you from my studio in San Francisco, California. We are breaking down a new episode of Entourage every Monday morning from here on out. We are at the end of season two. Things are starting to fall apart. Vince's career is in danger due to Mandy Moore's arrival. And this week, Turtle becomes a rap manager. Had the perfect guest on this week for Good Morning Saigon, episode 12 of season 2. Fraser Tharp, aka The Summer Man, senior editor for Complex.com. When he was an intern at Complex, he used to write all of the Entourage retaps. He's interviewed Doug Allen, he's interviewed Stat Venner. We talked about those interviews at length during today's conversation. Fraser's a great dude and a great follow on social media. He knows way more about me than hip hop beefs which he also agitated me on a little bit in today's episode. Apparently, Saigon has had his fair share of run-ins with other hip-hop artists. So apologies for some of the audio levels in today's episode. Towards the beginning of the conversation, Frazier's audio is a little too low, but I was able to fix it in post. I know you don't care about that, but it gets better is what I'm saying. Thanks to everyone who's followed our social media accounts at oh yeah pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Give me a follow at JR will do it on both Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to listen and subscribe to the oh yeah oh yeah music playlist on Spotify. All of the links to those accounts and playlists are in the show notes for today's episode. I've also included links to two or three articles that Frazier wrote for Complex about Entourage early on. We referenced those articles a few times in the conversation and They're definitely worth taking a peek at during your morning commute. As mentioned, the 15-year anniversary of the Entourage pilot is coming up in mid-July. I'm planning a whole week's worth of content for that. If you have any ideas for special episodes, write-ups, interviews that you might be interested in for that week, shoot me a DM. Thanks again to everyone who's been listening. Make sure you leave a five-star review if you've enjoyed what you've heard and... Enjoy my episode with the summer man himself, Fraser Tharp. All right, everybody, we are back. We are recapping another episode of the HBO dramedy Entourage. Apologies ahead of time for this interview. I am playing sick. I am playing injured. Major sinus infection affecting your boy right now. So if I'm a little spacey, a little nasally, apologies. I'm super excited to be joined by our guest this week. He is the senior culture editor for Complex. This man recapped the final season of Entourage and the Entourage movie as a lowly intern for Complex.com. The summer man himself, dialing in from New York City, Fraser Tharp, welcome to the Entourage podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. So, I like to ask every one of my guests, as everyone knows at this point, Fraser, what was your experience with Entourage like? How did you get introduced to the show? Where did it come into your life? Oh, man. Well... I can't say that I'm a day one fan. Of I, I'd seen, um, you know, my uncle was kind of like my big brother always put me onto a lot of shit and I'd seen him watching. I remember him watching the pilot and thinking that was cool, but then I didn't come around to it until I want to say like mid season three. Okay. 
2007, roughly? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, I remember specifically like marathoning to catch up to the, to get to the because uh, that was the year like they split. Remember the extra long writer strike year where it's like 24 episodes for season three. Oh, that was the writer strike then. Is that why? It was the writer I mean, strike. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I started watching live when they had like Carla Gugino on in that yep. that era. But I mean, I think that, that pretty much counts as day one, right? Yeah. Totally. That's early, early entourage. You're in the first third of it. That's way before like it really hit. I'd say season two, three, like we're kind of in the, uh, we're in the golden era of entourage and we've got another golden episode today with Good Morning Saigon. Uh, I, I, you know, I chose you specifically, you write about music, you like to tweet about music a lot. And, uh, I I thought what better person to have on than the episode in which Turtle becomes a hip hop manager. Fails upwards as usual. As usual. So let's talk about this. So this episode aired on Sunday, August 21st, 2005. This same evening, the series finale of the HBO television series Six Feet Under aired. Oh, wow. The episode, which was the 12th of the show's final season, was titled Everybody's Waiting, and it was met with universal acclaim from both critics and viewers alike, often being cited as one of the best series finales in the history of television. The episode itself received five Primetime Emmy Award nominations. TV Guide ranked the episode number 22 on its list of TV's top 100 episodes of all time. So, Good Morning Sidon probably came in a little under the wire back then, right? Because everyone was watching Six Feet Under. I don't know if it's the exact same demographic, but I know personally I've seen this finale, and it is a very good TV finale, and it's very pertinent these days given how shitty some HBO shows have landed the plane on their uh, programming. Yeah. You know, I actually have six of you, six feet under is one of my TV blind spots, but I do know like that finale is historic, and I can't imagine anyone was really crazy about Entourage like in this period. This is still really early. Yeah, this is season two, but it's still like there's there have been some iconic episodes this season so far. Oh, season two to me is is classic. It's the season that I kind of. Like, anytime you encounter someone who tries to be, like, derisive of the entire show, like, season two is, to me, when they were really, really cooking. The world expanded. It was, like, Vinny Chase finally realizing his movie stardom. There's just so many good, like, set pieces, you know, Comic-Con, Sundance. It's been fun rewatching it and and talking about it every week uh, on Monday mornings. Cannot wait until we're in, you know, midway through season six and he's got a drug problem, but we'll we'll get to that. (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty sure... If I'm remembering correctly, this was a few years ago, but at one point at Complex, we actually did a list that was my idea, best TV seasons of the 2000s, and Entourage Season 2 is on there somewhere. Well, I'm going to have to find it and put it in the show notes of today's episode so everyone can go back and read that, because I I think I agree with you. Season 2 might be its best. Let's talk about this episode. As Vince's relationship with Girl intensifies, Eric has to deal with two increasingly anxious sets of agents, those representing Vince and those tied to Mandy. Ari lies to E, claiming that James Cameron is willing to drop Vince from the project if the actor doesn't focus on the film. But the charade is exposed, and Eric turns the table by sending Ari to Napa on a revenge-motivated wild goose chase. After Eric's car is stolen, a demo CD is left behind by the thieves. The crew love the music they hear on the demo CD so much that Turtle tracks down the artist, Saigon, and signs him to a management deal. Fraser, what was your favorite moment from this episode? Honestly, rewatching it for the purposes of this podcast, I was thrilled to see that this was Barbara Miller's first episode. 
Did not remember that. Yeah. She comes in she comes in hot. Very hot. I mean, look, people always clown on Raj a little bit, but at one point, especially in seasons two and three, I think, it was actually like a really good inside baseball show for Hollywood. And I think you don't I mean, this episode isn't one of the crazier episodes in the back half of season two as far as plot goes, but you still have like some inner details that are interesting and funny, like, you know, the physical, insurance, weapons training, like all that, that's fun. So we can talk about Barbara now. Uh, she's my, I mean, I'm, I'm jumping way ahead to a different category, but she's my Marvin Award for best new character in the episode. She sticks around for, she's in the next 30 episodes of Entourage. Yeah, I wonder if they actually saw that coming when they put her in here, but I don't know. I mean, Beverly D'Angelo, the actress who plays her, is so talented. She initially started as an animator and cartoonist, and then she moved to Canada to pursue a rock singing career until she started... <laughs> I'm, like, reading through her, like, bio. It's it's absolutely crazy. At one point, she was invited to join with rock legend Ronnie Hawkins, and then she starred as Ellen, Green, Ellen Griswold in the National Lampoon's Vacation Films. She's just... She's working, man. She dated Al Pacino. Working. Oh, shit, I didn't know that. I know they have twins. <laughs> what other what other uh, moments from this episode jumped out as being your particularly favorite? I mean, Anna Maria Horsford cameoing as Saigon's mom. <laughs> what are you two selling? We're out. We're looking for Saigon. You wouldn't happen to be Miss Saigon, would you? Oh, good. Like I never heard that shit before. What you looking for my son for? We want to make him rich. Delivered <laughs> perfectly by drama. <laughs> that, and then she comes back with. Rodeo. 5577 Rodeo Drive. Don't you mean Rodeo? South of Jefferson, it's called Rodeo. Stop being so white, Drama. I would say, for favorite moment, I loved uh, Turtle and Drama going to Billy Walsh's motel room. Just everything about it, like Walsh in this like shitty double queen motel room with like a bunch of dudes watching like a premier league game on a 18 inch box set tv and the funniest thing is like they go in there and like drama wants his scene put back in the movie turtle wants to play in this track and billy walsh is like all right guys i had a busy day (laughs) he's like i don't have any time for this you need a banging soundtrack turtle i don't give a fuck if they release it all i care about is if it's the best movie it could be yeah well you put my liquor store meltdown scene back in you get an independent spirit award guaranteed all right guys i got a busy day all right just give it a listen no Why not? Because I already picked out all the songs. I don't want my head getting confused. Billy, I know music, all right? Trust me. All right, but I want Johnny's watch. (laughs) No problem. Give me a watch. I ain't giving him my watch. I'll put the liquor store scene back in and I'll listen to the song. Deal. Yeah, I mean... uh, Going forward, they'd, they'd lean on Billy a little bit too much, but in this point in the show, like every Billy appearance is just, just golden. Like 100%. He's sprinkled in nicely in season two, and he becomes a bit of an... He's overstayed his welcome by season four in the Midian thing. Like he's this so-called auteur director, and he's in like a Ramada Inn. <laughs> <laughs> Turtle's like, Billy, I know music, trust me. And he finally goes, all right, but I want Johnny's watch. <laughs> just like scumbad. Love it. <laughs> I was always going to put the scene back in. <laughs> uh, we talked every week about bros being bros moment. And bro is not maybe the right word for this, but we are presented by brobible.com. So I think it would be more like the moment in the episode where you felt like the guys were being as close to a normal group of guys as you would think. Did any of those moments jump out at you, Frazier? 
Yeah, I mean, the the theme of this episode is actually that they're kind of splintering and they, they haven't broken up yet. There's been no drama, but, um, you know, there's a really nice moment actually towards the end where to get ahead of that drama says, I think the line is like, I felt we needed this, this group dinner. Yeah. It's just the most bromantic thing you could think of. And they're like in Malibu, seaside, <laughs> having a beautiful dinner for guys. Ah, this looks phenomenal. Nice drama. Hey, hey, hey. I figured the family needed a little get-together. With you gone the last few days, it's been a little off around here. We had dinner together on Wednesday. Yeah, we missed you, bro. Thanks, Johnny. Bang! Turtle, scissor dinner music. Don't be a hater just because you're not the only manager in the house anymore. The guy's the next Russell Simmons. Who would have thunk it? To Saigon. To Aquaman. Family being together again. Yes. Cheers. And then, in typical entourage fashion, they all cheers their Budweiser's. <laughs> And then Ben says, oh, but uh, we had dinner Wednesday, like a couple of days, <laughs> you know, a couple of days to drama is enough. Yeah, 100%. Enough to concern. I, uh, my bros being bros moment was early in the episode where they're all like butthurt that Vince is late for breakfast, <laughs> but their feelings are hurt. <laughs> oh, hey, Aquaman. Mandy finally let you out of her web, huh? Sorry I'm late. You know how hard it is to break away from a good spooning. What are we eating? We already ate. Well, just for the record, I took the liberty of ordering you this beautiful egg white frittata. Where is it? He had him clear it. Well, in all fairness, the cheese was starting to congeal. That's what happens when you leave your breakfast sitting on the table for 45 minutes. All right, I get it. I'll be honest, like, if if my friend who's, you know, one of the main guys in my group just didn't show to breakfast, I, I might be a little hurt. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I would care, but I think it does... It does underscore the moment there. Like they're not even used to this idea of Vince ever delaying any time with them for a girl, which is one hundred percent hilarious for men pushing thirty. Pushing thirty, drama pushing forty. <laughs> what would you say was like your least favorite moment from the episode? Watching drama be like the out of touch white guy is always yeah. funny, but the jokes just didn't hit as much as I, I think they thought they would here. Like he's talking like he's in like a black exploitation film in the ship or whatever which is like funny but also just like goofy drama has some hysterical moments especially in season two and coming on the uh, heels of the comic-con episode right like he's he's golden in that but you're right this is a little bit of a caricature of a of a, a white guy in boys in the hood a little bit yeah like i think at, at one point he says like i'm an og like it's just okay. <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah we got it and then he's like, well, he might be a three-stride defender. We could put him away for life. And they're like, yeah, Drama, you're really OG. <laughs> My least favorite moment is probably also in that breakfast scene where it's after they all kind of, you know, give him grief about not showing up um, for breakfast. But it's like Ian and Vince are butting heads and getting really chippy and passive-aggressive with each other. What else? They got weapons instructions at two. You're to learn how to use Aquaman's claw. Sweet. What? Well, maybe now's not a good time to ask, but I kind of told Mandy I'd go house hunting with her. Anyway, we can we can push it back, right? Just an hour. Come on, Vince, don't be irresponsible. Irresponsible? <laughs> you know, maybe we should pick up the Maserati before we all start saying things we regret. Where's the Maserati? Police impound. Got stolen right in front of National last night. Guy loses a $100,000 car, which I gave him, and he's calling me irresponsible. And then they find out that the car is stolen. It just, it was really like melodramatic and it didn't seem like how two guys would talk. Right. It, it, like two guys would just be like, hey man, quit fucking things up. 
they just go right at each other and it just seemed very uh i don't know yeah i mean the mandy arc has its highs and its lows and stuff like that is definitely trending towards the okay the eye roll did you particularly like the and uh, mandy arc overall or were you just not a fan no i i loved it i mean at the end of the day you need stuff to humanize vince a little bit or at least and make you invest in Vince in any way compared to the other mm-hmm. guys and Ari. And I don't know, it, it's good drama. It's just not, you know, it's a little cloying. It's a little melodramatic at points. But I mean, oh, we, yeah. look at, we look at what we got with Vince later with like fucking Sasha, Sasha Gray and <laughs> drugs and shit. And it's like, all right, this was, this was pretty solid. Yeah, this is pretty tame. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, people tune into the show it's escape a little bit it's escapes it's escapism it's fantasy and maybe people at the time were just like i don't want to see this guy go through relationship problems i've got my own problems you know what i mean like and they i mean they had like not so much in this episode but they do have some real fun with it like there's a i think the point where um i think maybe it wasn't the comic-con episode but the one before it where they're talking about like him stalking her on set and like casually revealing all these really out of character moments for Vince that I think they almost yeah. didn't have enough fun with. Yeah, totally. And she sits around. She's in the in season two for like five episodes. So she might have been yeah. underutilized in the fact that she kind of shows up, they're together for an episode and a half, and then they're done with each other. Like it might have felt more impactful if she'd stuck around for a whole season and he'd gotten to know her and uh, right. gotten used to her. But Nobody, uh, again, nobody wants to watch a whole season with like a new guy or new girl in the crew. Look at the Dom example that we're coming up on in a couple <laughs> couple episodes. Hey, I didn't mind Dom. You didn't mind Dom? I didn't mind Dom. Wow. This I is think, a hot take, I Frazier. Think, I think they got Dom out of there at the perfect moment. Oh, yeah. He's only there for two episodes. So like, For those two episodes, he comes right up to the brink of overstaying his welcome. and then Okay. So that was like good discipline on their part, I think. Maybe I'll have you on for a Dom episode because, I mean, universally across the board, I have listeners go, can't wait to hear you guys talk about Dom. <laughs> like, he's uh, He might be one of the like least regarded characters in uh, television history. And I love the actor. I love Dominic. Uh, oh, yeah. He's Jesus. the best. Kirk? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's the wire. Like, uh, yeah, he's the best. I, I just don't I just don't want the character they gave him. What were your uh, what were some of your favorite lines from this episode? I mean, everything in the Barbara Miller meeting is just yeah. <laughs> just A+. Plus. Like, I think there's one line about Mandy's never missed a meeting, and Vince is like, I mean, E is this. E's talking about, well, well uh, Vince has never missed a meeting either, and I've got the whole, I've got like the whole scene in front of me. <laughs> um, you don't want to wind up spinning dough at that fucking pizza place again, do you? Right, that's the one. That, but then there's like, <laughs> there's there's just uh from the agents that like don't get names or just like get barely introduced or whatever they all have like one chime in that's just like so ridiculous but like honestly real hollywood shit great segue we're gonna introduce a new category this week ladies and gentlemen listeners of oh yeah oh yeah and that is continuity errors there are a lot of continuity errors in entourage and people point them out and i should do a better job of pointing them out but in that scene, when Eric meets with Mandy Moore's people... So, Vince missed meetings a lot, Eric? No, not really. Because Mandy doesn't miss meetings. Mandy doesn't ever miss meetings. Cool. In fact, Mandy hasn't missed a meeting in 15 years. She's never even been late. 
once, but that was during the riots. Wow. Unfortunately, the riots were in 1992, <laughs> and Mandy would not have been old enough to have been in L.A. and or uh, <laughs> okay. in Hollywood. Thank she you would for have been... pointing that out, because that did cross my mind. I didn't go back and do the research about when Mandy Moore actually started, but I heard riots, and I was like, wait, really? <laughs> she would have been six years old at the time. <laughs> Second continuity error while we're on the topic. Um, during the episode, Ari's walking down to his car and he's talking on the phone with his wife. He says he would never leave her alone with his mom. Well, did it ever occur to you that a seven o'clock dinner in Santa fucking Monica is too early? I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry. I, I had a bad day. I will be there. I would not leave you alone with my mother. I know what could happen. Love and kisses. Love and kisses. However, in the second episode of season one, the review, Ari tells E that he got more phone calls about a, about a bad review than when his mom died. So, again, <laughs> the gold the gold family, like, changes. There's, like, three kids. There's two kids. Yeah, I was going to say, they, know. like, completely axed out a whole kid on, like, some sitcom shit. Yep, yep. So I'm going to do my best. Guys, everyone listen. I'm going to do my best to try to catch those. You know, I go pretty deep on these already, so I'll just I'll just keep going deeper. That's what we love here at Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah. Uh, any other lines jump out at you, Frazier? Not really. I mean, this one is... It's a cool episode, but it's not like one of the classics that has just quotables from wall to wall. I agree. I like, so back to the Barbara Miller interview uh, meeting. So Ari, uh, who's going to be running this shindig, you or me? You've got the biggest cock in the room, Babs. Why don't you kick it off? Oh, I don't know about that, Ari. We haven't seen Eric's yet. At that point, there's like, she pretty much seals the deal on being a, you know, recurring character. No, oh, totally. She just comes in and like, kind of kind of wheels and deals and you know figuratively swings her dick around in the room i mean the other line that did jump out to me on the rewatch was um sorry i'm late you know how hard it is to break away from a good spooning what are we eating we already ate i didn't like that line that one gave me the creeps again was that like kind of what we were talking about where they're trying to really hammer home how to character this is but again a little bit on the melodramatic side where it's like oh wow a little bit too far with this I don't know what male would say that to his buddies, but you do you, Vince. Um, and then I know we were talking earlier about drama being a cornball, but when they walked into the uh, auto shop. Hello, gentlemen. I'm Robin. How can I help you? How you doing, girl? We're looking for a silky smooth rhyming cat named Saigon. Was that English? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, that scene also has later, so he tells the guy who, I guess, jacked the car that you were supposed to put it in Steve Berman's car. Yep, Steve Berman. And he's he's like, oh, I don't know how these motherfuckers drive the same car at the same place, which is a very good indictment of L.A. culture, I think. So, if I can go even deeper on that. Let's go deeper. <laughs> Let's talk about Sidon a little bit. He's, he's the face in the crowd. So, Sidon, Brian Daniel Terranard. Raised in Spring Valley, New York, he served jail time in the late 90s. First degree, first degree assault, he shot at someone in a bar. However, when he was in prison, he met with a fellow inmate who rapped, and they started working together. Fast forward, in 2004, Sidon signed a record deal with Atlantic Records, but ultimately, like, they never produced an album for him. So this plot of, like, Sidon not being able to get his work out and being, like suppressed by his record deal is actually what's going on in the real rapper Sidon's life, which I thought was super interesting and a nice touch. And I don't know if they did it on purpose or it was after the fact, but it all happened in the same time period. So to just catch you up on that a little bit, it, it kind of was a little after, like I think when he 
first appeared on the show for sure, it was like a big look. It was part of his, uh, you know, this this real big groundswell behind him of yep. having like a underground fan base and people like being excited for him to go mainstream. And uh, then, I, you know, it just really didn't pay the kind of dividends that he wanted it to. Yeah, I think he released one album and that's it. I don't, he's nowhere to be seen today. I don't know if you know anything, but I... Yeah, I mean, it actually made me look up when the last time he put, like, a, a mixtape out was, and it was, like, way back, like, 2012, I think. Yeah. Damn. Even that was, like, a release that probably wasn't even on a, on our radar really that crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, though. He he had Just Blaze behind him, you know, one yep. of the biggest rap producers, especially back in that era. I think at one point he had a, a song that was co-produced by both Blaze and Kanye. Uh, he had Swizz on the album. He got a Jay-Z verse, you know. Yep. He had things going for him. Rappers in the early 2000s where they had no power and, and no like means of distribution, unlike now, it's just such a different world, man. And it was 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, today he would be perfectly fine just kind of grinding it out with his fan base. But back then he had, I think he had one quote where, you know, he was saying Atlantic was, they signed him knowing the type of music he makes, which is the, the kind of music that they're playing actually in the show were his songs Yeah, in this episode. And, uh, one of his first meetings with Atlantic after he signed was like talking about getting like a boy band on the single and shit. Shit. Fucking music industry. Well, let's talk about that. We always talk about the, our favorite songs every week in, uh, in the episode of Entourage that we're breaking down. We have a playlist, the Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah music playlist. It's on Spotify. Uh, the link for that is in the show notes of today's episode. What songs did you like in particular from this episode, Frazier? I remember actually when I was catching up on the show, I heard like that first Saigon song they play and I wasn't familiar with them yet at that point. And this is like 05 and 06 when it's like way harder. There's no like Shazam you could just put up to yep. fucking TV or whatever. And I don't know how I found it, but I like Googled lyrics to find uh, Let a Nigga Know. Sit down. I know you like the way my shit sounds. Banging from the hood out to the hick Everything. Yo, Vince, this shit is hot. Who is it? No clue. Sounds like Eminem to me. What do you know about hip-hop drama? <laughs> what are you, crazy, bro? I'm OG. <laughs> OG? The last hip-hop CD you bought was the kid and play box set. So who is it then? I never heard it before. Yeah, me neither. Since when does E listen to rap music? Saigon. Four tracks. It's a demo? That's probably my favorite of the Saigon songs. I also like Letter P, the song... Uh, that plays as they pull into Billy's motel. Yeah, yeah. Opens on a Wild in the West by Chito and Tulwada. I like nice hip-hop music played throughout this episode. And then, of course, like on brand, Dodd Allen ends with Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. <laughs> Which is just such a, like, a crazy, expensive song to end on for such a placeholder episode. Especially like a practical joke of Ari driving up the coast. Yeah, you know, that pretty much has no punchline. You know, that's yeah. one of the things that I think people always got on Entourage for. It's like, all right, we're mad Ari lied to us. We're going to send him on a wild goose chase drive and then not speak about it. Yeah, I'm behind him on the road about 30 miles right now. He won't stop or answer his cell phone. Says he's going to shack up at Auberge du Soleil and never come back. You know, I could use your help up there. That's like a seven-hour drive. No shit. The traffic's not that bad, but, you know, whatever, all right. Keep your phone on. I'm heading north. <laughs> you think you bought it? Hook, line, and sinker. Wait, sell it. 
Hey, you guys wow. ready for some roast? Yeah, that looks good, drama. So before we recorded, you mentioned uh, off air that you've actually interviewed Scott Venner, the guy who chooses the music, the music produce, the what is what is his title for the show of Entourage? A uh, music supervisor. Music supervisor. Thank you. So what was that interview like? We'd love to. I have to get him on the pod at some point. Man, you have to. I mean, I'm pretty. I don't know uh, if he's aware of it. After this, I will definitely make him aware of it. Awesome. Um, so actually, this goes way back to. You know, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, when I was still interning at Complex, I was still in college. One of the first, one of my first paid gigs was recapping the final season of Entourage. And when you're a recapper, for the most part, you get advanced episodes. So, like, I'm in junior year of college, <laughs> Entourage, the typical broy college show, and I'm getting like the final season on. Back then, it was still discs. Yep. Everything's streaming links now, but you know, discs from HBO with like episodes a month two months out really awesome and then uh, you know the finale ended not so awesome but yeah yeah <laughs> did you have the screeners that had like some of the music taken out and some of the like effects i mean I just yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's always like the disclaimer with like temporary yeah but so then that led to me when i joined a full time I, I had that precedent of you know just being knowledgeable about the show and then when the movie came about uh, I was always fascinated by Scott and, you know, I think it's kind of common to hear like popular music and dope music on pretty much anything you watch now. But back sure. then, um, especially in like seasons two and three, like some of the shit he was playing was just kind of like mind blowing a little bit, especially, I mean, he has a deep bench beyond hip hop, but especially to a hip hop fan, it's like, whoa, you know, I think he got to a point where he was like breaking songs. Yep famously and we, we you know we'll get to it but he famously dropped the good life with Kanye west as the closing credits when they all go to tan that was the first time anyone had heard that song that and then even like for season two i think he was the first to put a rihanna song in like the trailer like oh wow whatever rihanna's first single was like upon the replay i think mm -hmm. or one of her the ones after that but you know so uh, I was always fascinated by him, and I pitched a profile with him to support the movie, and uh, it was just fire. Like I spent a couple days with him. I got to actually watch them premiere the movie at USC. Wow. Uh, him and Doug. And then I interviewed Doug just for like secondaries about Scott and for an additional feature we ran with uh, like going over some of his favorite episodes. So that was a very good spring to be an Entourage super fan. Yeah, that sounds sounds like it. And honestly, if Doug wants to talk about his favorite Entourage episodes, I've got the perfect platform for him to do that. Doug, <laughs> well, come on, man. Doug, if you're listening, you'll listen. I know you are. Okay, let's keep it moving. Super fascinating story. If, you ha if you're not following Scott Venner at Broken Modal on Instagram and Twitter, he's one of the most fascinating dudes and a good follow as well. So go follow him. He plays a lot of poker. A lot of poker. What would you say was an outdated reference that was made in this episode? I mean, it's mean, but Saigon. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, that is that is correct. I didn't see that one coming, and then I, as soon as you said it, I understood it. Um, you know, like it's just it it's really crazy. You're right, though, man. Like at the time, I, I same thing. I like downloaded all of his music off of like LimeWire torrent shit, and like. He was blowing up, and he had the show to support him. He had all the guys from the show 
speaking his name and uh, didn't really do much with it, unfortunately. Uh, it's too bad. I mean, it also led, I don't know how familiar or how deep your rat beef history goes, but uh, so at one point, I think it was well after the show ended, but uh, Saigon actually got into a beef with Joe Budden. Oh, really? Yeah. And of course, you know, Joe couldn't resist. <laughs> I'm reaching like way back in my memory here, but I think he had a line about like he couldn't even get a deal on Entourage or something. Wow. I love it. I need to find that line. Drop it in here. He got in a fist fight with Prodigy, I read too. Like, no, I don't know it. I don't. I, that's not being pulled from my brain, but that's being pulled from Wikipedia, <laughs> essentially. But yeah, maybe maybe he was a problem child. Who knows? Oh, I just found it. Speaking of Doug, though, uh, so around that time, around the time of the movie, I talked to Doug to get his picks for each season, and he actually picked Exodus as his standout episode. Which is interesting. Okay, two episodes away. Or wait, I think that's actually next week. Apologies, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm a little slow today, as mentioned. Look forward to that one. When you, watch, when you get to that one, then just know that's Doug Allen's pick. All right, good to know. Doug, come on and do it with me. No, I'll stop betting. <laughs> <laughs> for uh, for outdated reference, I had one. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little sad because it's 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 recent, but uh, Sidon's buddy says, man, fuck that, hold out for John Singleton's next movie. Oh, man, I did think of that too. I want to use one of your tracks in Vince's new movie. Is Danny Brothers in this movie? Yeah, I think I saw one in that bar scene. Man, fuck that. Hold off for John Singleton's next movie. I got 10 G's for a track, fellas. All right, you give me that paper, you two got yourself a client. John Singleton, American film director, screenwriter, producer, best known for directing Boys in the Hood. Resting. Who's nominated for Academy Award for Best Director at age 24. Youngest person to ever been nominated for that award and the first African-American. Wow, that's crazy. Legend. And he passed away, sadly, just uh, two months ago. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking about this when you've been at a place as long as I have. Some of the interviews you've done just like fall through the cracks. But around the same time, I, I guess season eight was on. I actually talked to Singleton, too. Wow. Um, for one of his less exciting movies. But still, I think it was like some fucking action movie with one of the highlight <laughs> dudes. But I and how was it? How was the conversation? The conversation was dope, you know, just the occasion was whatever, but I mean, yeah. as an intern and like just coming into this shit, I'm always going to take any any chance to talk to him. Absolutely. Legend. If this episode, if this plot of this episode aired in 2019, how would it be different? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think anytime you come to Entourage, it's always about just, you know, it's a more PC world we're living in right now. Sure especially when it comes to comedies. And I think you just don't, you wouldn't have Ari or Eric kind of voicing the concern about Mandy in the same way. Yeah, I guess you're right. You know? Yeah. I mean, uh, these, uh, these people, these celebrities that they're talking about are literally like small businesses. So I don't think them talking kind of like informally about them, I mean, they're not disrespectful towards Mandy or... Oh, or no, Vince. not in any way. Just more in the sense of, like, 
the, the underlying like subtext of the episode is Vince is threatening his career over a girl. Yeah. Which you'd maybe see handled with a little bit more nuance today. Okay. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, the, the show aired 15 years ago, and we try to make a point not to belabor stuff like, oh, well, you know, and, and I think in terms of everything else that could be offensive, there isn't really much in this episode specifically that we're talking about. No, not at all. I mean, I think today, obviously, the landscape of rap has changed so much that you, whatever circumstance that Turtle would happen upon Saigon would be vastly different, but... Yeah, Turtle would find him, like, on SoundCloud or something. But that plot line would would probably resonate even more so today. Um, yeah, they'd find, like, a USB drive or, like, a... Like like a, one of those business cards that rappers have that have like all their social media handles. That's what they'd find in the Maserati. Right. Like they wouldn't to, find a demo CD. You want to like the situations where like Spotify, like some super way underground artist labels a track like Beyonce. Yep. And just gets people to click on it as a troll. We talked about Sidon. We talked about Beverly D'Angelo. Let's talk about Johnny Drama again. Not a be- not a great episode for him in terms of like his behavior. But was there any moments that you just loved? Or that made you laugh? I mean, the like the one you mentioned earlier, the breakfast, I think he says he ordered. I think the line is, I ordered you a beautiful frittata, but the the, the egg was starting to congeal. Or Correct. Yep. <laughs> like, he's just such a fucking nerd sometimes. He's like, a, he, he's, it's like nerd slash corny slash try hard. You know, like he just, he wants so badly people to care about him and for and, and to care about people and uh when vince rejects or when vince doesn't come to eat his food he's genuinely kind of heartbroken <laughs> i mean i mean even a, a mid johnny drama episode is still a great johnny drama episode because he has that he has um begging billy to get his scene put back in how could you not cut my scene if you really want to critical acclaim or whatever <laughs> Ind- independent spirit award <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, I also like when they go pick up the Maserati from the impound and they're talking about how you can never, your car never runs the same after someone steals it. I'm telling you, once your car's been stolen, it never runs the same again. It's like a guy sleeping with your girl. He leaves his mark all over. And how does a car know it's been stolen? Ask the Buddhists, bro. They believe everything's got a soul. Even a toaster oven. (laughs) (laughs) Even a toaster oven is one of the greatest characters. Oh, absolutely. It was it's a shame that he kept any nominated for uh, Emmys for best supporting comedy and it's the same category as Jeremy Piven. So yeah. best supporting actor in a comedy. So Piven would just mop the floor with him every year and Tevin Dillon didn't did his due. I, th- I think he I think he deserved one. At least. What hell is Kevin Dillon up to now? He's pretty retired. He spends a lot of time in wine country with his wife and golfing. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's from he's from Hollywood royalty, and he's probably made a good amount of money on Entourage. Why not? Why not? Every week, we talk about who won the episode besides Vince, because he wins every episode. So who <laughs> who besides Vince won this episode, Frazier? You have to give it to Turtle by default. Yep. He ends up at with a new job title that he completely didn't earn, <laughs> and a new client, all within the space of like a couple hours. Having no idea what management means or how it works. No idea. There's the moment where Saigon says it, and you literally just see him like just process it for a second, and then not miss a beat. And like, oh, all right, yeah, sure. It's good hustler mentality. But I also came out of this episode like impressed by E. You know, yeah. like just thinking about the situation. I think 
that was always the cooler parts of the show, especially the early episodes, watching them kind of navigate this business while not being, uh, while still being like kind of like blue collar and always reminded of that. And seeing E handle himself in like a quote unquote war room of agents and managers who've been working with like a legacy multi-million dollar client already is, is, you know, pretty cool to watch. And I like now rewatching these episodes and watching the Vince E dynamic. I just remember being 22 when this aired and thinking to myself, man, E's kind of a hard ass and kind of is a little bitch a lot of the time. But now I'm 31 and I watch this and I'm like, Vince is a little bitch. Vince is like flaky. Oh, Vince is such a bitch. And he just like, he's like, you're being very hard on me. He's, he's, I mean, he's acting like a prima donna, which is what he is. He's an A-list movie star. So it's interesting to see how much 10 years makes me like flip-flop on uh, on who's like having a harder time. I like, I sympathize with E a little bit. Right. And I think this is the best season of the show also because, um, you know, a common complaint about the show from people is the stakes or lack thereof. Yeah. And this is pretty much the one season where there are real stakes. It's like a real make or break moment for them. Yeah. They, and I then he breaks and break. then it's just <laughs> good living for six seasons. <laughs> yeah. It's just excessive making. I mean, not to get ahead. I always was impressed by season three zigzagging a little bit with the, uh, you know, franchise versus yeah. artistic endeavor type shit. Yeah. They could only keep that up for so long. Okay, last couple questions here. Was this an A-list episode, a B-list episode, or a D-list episode? I'm going to give it B-list. Yeah. You know, if I was doing a ranking, I don't know if this would come up high, but I think season two is just so strong that all boats rise. 100%. It's, it's maybe a B-minus for me. Yeah, that's fair. Not one of the... Well, it is memorable because of Sidon. Sidon is a big presence in this end of season two, beginning of season three. But yeah. I'm not popping i'm not opening hbo go and going hey i really want to rewatch those sidon episodes <laughs> yeah yeah and that's the thing like this is a great show like typically when people rewatch they like do a full rewatch of a show but this is a great show to like really just pop in a random episode yep and just soak it back up and this would be so far down the list like if you hadn't seen the show in a while and wanted to just be nostalgic for it you wouldn't really go to this one ever agreed completely but I'm mean, yeah. To be fair, it's like in a weird place. It's it's a placeholder before yeah. the fireworks. Yeah, it's a moving the chess pieces around a little bit. You know, we're establishing that Vince is starting to get kind of flaky with Mandy, and we're giving Turtle something to do. Drama just doesn't have anything to do with this episode besides tattle on, which it's always funny when you see like characters just be completely sidelined in these episodes. I mean, yeah, dude. I... But again, if there's anyone who can do the most with yeah. being sidelined, it's Kevin Dillon. There's no better man. So, Fraser, I like to ask every one of my guests as, as a last question. So, if if Entourage was real and your life's Entourage, what character are you closest to? Oh man, um, are hybrids allowed? Absolutely. La- uh, two weeks ago. Noah Darden Schwartz, who's a writer for the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, said that he was a Turtle Vince <laughs> hybrid, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I, I would never have guessed that one coming. Um, <laughs> it's funny, you know, like working at Complex and shit and then being the one that has like the access to all this cool shit with my group of friends who I still pretty much see all the same people I went to high school with, which is very entourage of me. Mm-hmm. You would think that would make me advance, but that's 
I'm going to be honest. I'm way more of like an E with a slider turtle. (laughs) E turtle. I like that. Because I think turtle, you can't give yourself, you're giving yourself too much credit going full turtle because for all the flag turtle gets, turtle made a lot of moves. And turtle is one of the better written characters in terms of his dialogue in the first two or three seasons of the show. I find myself laughing out loud at his moments just as much as dramas, to be honest. People don't give enough Turtle enough credit for being a facilitator. Yeah, true. Like, I feel like, you know, especially in these episodes before they've really reached A-list status, they have a lot of connections and clout that Turtle helped get them. Yeah. Now, of course, he only helped get them that in the position of being close to events, but still, you know? So I, I wouldn't call myself, like, that kind of master finesser, but... I at least bring the humor that Turtle brings. E is not funny at all. No, <laughs> he's not. He's they funny. even they reveal like in season maybe it's five or maybe it's six when he's dating uh, Jamie Lynn Seedler. They the classic arc. Yeah, classic arc. Yeah, legendary, an all time one. They reveal that it was like him who paid for all of them to move to California when he was a bookie. Right, just, which is such a great detail. It's such a great detail that they don't introduce until fifty five episodes <laughs> into the show. <laughs> Uh, Frazier, this has been a blast, man. Thank you for joining to talk about Good Morning Saigon. You have kicked me up the wagon, bro. Like it's it's back. My job, it's my job to watch a lot of TV, <laughs> a lot of new TV, and I think I might end up ignoring a bunch of screeners tonight and just going on a just keeping a season two bench going or something. Perfect. Let's get you back next season. We can talk about Dom, maybe. <laughs> yeah, man. If I'm the only one defending Dom, I'll come back for it. That's what we need to do. Where can the listeners follow you? Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter and IG at the underscore Summerman, where um, even when I'm not invited to a glorious podcast celebrating the show, I am prone to bringing it up out of nowhere. Perfect. Give him a follow. He's a good follow, especially during basketball, NBA, all that good stuff which is going on right now. Um, oh, man, dude, don't. I mean, I'm a, such a fair weather basketball fan. I only check in on playoffs, but... Uh-huh. The good thing about me is that I don't like. I'm not a poser about it. Like I that's don't good. Like I have been. Well, watching. thanks for joining, Fraser. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon, and we'll definitely have you back. Jr. Thanks, bro. <laughs>